Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. to uh, live in Liverpool for a while, although I'm not from there, but I, I studied there and I, I kind of got involved, I was involved in music there. I've, I've been playing since I was 10 and I was in my first bands and stuff when I was in my teens, like 14 and stuff. And I, I played in school as well. I played saxophone in, in the school orchestra, well, the school big band, and I was in the choir and I, did, I studied music at school, but I didn't study it after school. But uh, I kind of, I was uh, at university in uh, Liverpool, which was a good city, you know, to be around in the late 80s kind of thing mm. for music. And then I kind of ended up getting involved in the jazz scene in London a little bit, in South London. So, because there was a big sort of resurgence of jazz and swing in the, I think off the back of the acid jazz thing in the late 80s, early 90s, there was sort of a, a, re, a resurgence of interest in jazz. So it's kind of interesting. I'm a, I'm a sort of folk musician, really, but I, uh, I think I, I, so I cast my net pretty wide. So there's a lot of blues and, and jazz in there, and uh, uh, but I don't think I'm a pure, a pure blues player in that way. It's a, I think my music's a mixture of a lot of the things that I've absorbed as I've gone on. You know, so I was in London in the early '90s. There's a lot of DJs and uh, techno and drum and bass and those sort of things, and though they were never my favourite music i think i was i'd go I'd, you know i'd be you know i find myself dancing to it and, and find myself being influenced by by it on some level as well and so i came to my relationship to prague started in the early 90s as well because my best friend from school he moved here in 91 he just had enough of, of britain and this country it was Czechoslovakia then was just opening up and the visa requirements were very minimum minimal <laughs> it had a it had a good reputation I think it was an interesting place I think people were interested in what was happening here because mm. of what Havel was doing and it was seemed to be a good place for artists uh, there seems to be like you know a, a, quite a bohemian scene here revolution and all that and you know we met people who are our, our own age who like us had come through the very end of the cold war and it was interesting because we'd come out of Thatcherism, which, you know, in a place like Liverpool was just hardcore, you know, and I think they were coming out of communism, which was even harder, uh, obviously, you know, it was even harder core. And I think we would, we sort of were pushing the, seeing, seeing where the boundaries were, because nobody really knew. So it's kind of over here at least. But I didn't move here then. I didn't, I, ca- I came back a few times. He got married. I came over to see him and my chair. I met some Czechs and, and they came over to England. So I had a connection here, but I, I didn't move here until 2004. And that was because I was just found myself at a loose end in London, just hating it, <laughs> hating the, 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 the London experience. But I, I think by, the, by then I was in my uh, sort of mid thirties and uh, I also, I did five years of cabaret as well. When I, when I finished, I, I sort of did a sort of five years hanging around in South London on the jazz scene there. And then, Five years I did cab of cabaret like cruise ships and uh, 
holiday camps and uh, that was kind of interesting as well you know I mean I, I love that you know you'd go on as a band and you'd do four sets and one would be a band set of like top 40 stuff and then there'd be a comedian you'd play him or her on or off then there might be a show that they put together and then you might back a singer or something so the, 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 there was it really was variety and I, I loved it um, for that Although there were other things like some of the music was interesting, a lot of it was terrible. And uh, you beat some much, interesting characters, I'm pretty sure, right? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was the end. It was the end of that. You know, I always seem to come right at the end of uh, whatever <laughs> it is I joined. I, I always seem to get the last days. So it was the. I, I was there for the last days of cabaret. Really, it was, it was just the sort of the last days of like vaudeville, really. You know, like and music hall, like the. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, really. I found that, that that was kind of, I liked the accessibility of what we did. And I worked with some amazing musicians because it was a good way for, you know, players to have a steady income. You could, you could get a mortgage on that on that kind of gig. You know, it was six nights a week. You get to play every day, right? You get to practice, yeah. you know? And, well, exactly. I don't yeah. practice, but I'm sure you do a little bit of practice, right? It's learning new stuff. Yeah, it was nice. It was reading, it was a reading gig as well. So you'd come in, they'd say, you know, this singer would be like, here are my charts, they'd give you their music and they'd, you'd top and tail it, as they say, look out any, and then you'd be doing it, you'd be performing it within, within, you know, an hour. You so know, you are Gary Barlow, you know, it's like, like yeah. right, you know. It's right, it was nice, I, I enjoyed the discipline of that. Um, and I think it, it served me well. Although by, you know, by the time I came here, I was, in 2004, I was just sick of it all, though. Because Britain is this weird thing where you either, you know, if you're, a lot of the pubs and stuff were just becoming more like tribute acts, karaoke, this kind of thing. It, it's a country that produces some great music, but it's just really, it's really merciless, really, the, mm. you know, the scene there. So I found it difficult to, I just had enough. I just needed to get out of Britain. It was, I just had enough after the... I think the, the war in Iraq was just, that was it for me. And then the, the cost of living in London, I don't know how bands do that now. Because there was a time when you, you could squat, or I've squatted in London, for example, or you could find sort of cheaper places. To, there's nothing really even vaguely central that's even remotely cheap in London now. That, does, that, that makes things certainly more challenging when, uh, yeah, you have regenerations or whatever they're calling it in uh, this time. You know, yeah. hipster, hipsters before hipsters and all that stuff. Or it's, yeah, you know, it's pre well, hipster yeah. hipsters. I mean, you couldn't give a lot of East London away in the in the seventies. No, right. You know, definitely not after dark. Anyway, that's for sure. Right? No, but then it's, it's out of nowhere. It just suddenly became very popular. But something similar happened in Prague, where I was living. That's kind of interesting. That was good news for me because it meant I could sell my flat for. You know, considerably more than I bought it for. So that gave me a bit of space now because otherwise I'd be in real trouble now yeah. what about the next step then justin was it you moved over here like lock stock and barrel to use that kind of east end uh, <laughs> line there i mean you just yeah. you come over uh, here with a couple of I bags and with a, just a rucksack and a guitar but i what the what i what i decided i needed was i needed somewhere where the rent was kind of cheap and where i could work in uh, i wasn't going to be strapped to 40 hours a week of full-time employment i could i needed a gig that i could do as well as doing my own gigs. I wanted to do my own music, but I knew that I was going to need to, I wasn't expecting just to go out there and start making a living out of it straight away. And I didn't want to go back to doing cabaret and contracts because I wanted to really do something original. I, I've been, I've always written and I, I felt my, you know, it was, it was time now. So I, to do that, I needed to be somewhere where I could earn a, a second income. So I was teaching here for 
quite a long time. For 11, I've been here for 16 years and I stopped teaching about five years ago, definitively. But it started off, I came here, there was no gigs. So, you know, I just started doing, I was just getting into, I was teaching English uh, to mostly to adults in offices and stuff around here, but there's loads of work. So it meant that I could, it wasn't fixed hours and that was great, because then I started getting into bands and stuff, or started looking at the scene, and I didn't have to push anything. I could just sort of go, like, I, I, for a couple of years I just felt it out and then I decided, right, this is what I want to do. There's, there's some gigs in it, but I need to find my audience and I could give myself that time. And that's what I really, really needed to do because that's what, it's so hard to, to otherwise as a musician, if you're, if you're trying to survive on your gig, unless you're doing something like contract work, like cabaret or something, it's really, really hard and it puts a lot of stress on your music and makes you make a lot of compromises. What's kind of nice was that I felt I could come here and I, I knew people who were here already and I kind of liked the scene and it was it was much easier than it had been in the early 90s. More people spoke English and it was more it was more like other Western European cities and I just needed that space and that time to work my gig because a gig is sort of what 90 minutes uh, if you're doing it. And you need 90 minutes of good material. It's, it's, it takes a long time to write 90 minutes of good right, material. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's different if you have a dub, your, your own double album that's sold 10 million copies, right? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, it's no problem. But right. it's a bit harder than it looks or sounds. Yeah, and that was just about the time, you know, if you think back to 2004, I think MySpace was just starting up. And... Uh, YouTube was just starting up, uh, Gmail was just starting up. So it was just at the time when, uh, when I came here, when things were starting to get for this, for a solo unsigned act, it, it was, you know, you could in theory uh, get yourself around a bit without having to, uh, without needing a record company, but it was right at the beginning of all that. I mean, have your impressions over the, the music scene and let's just speak in Prague in particular, but have your impressions changed over the years about the, the music scene in Prague? I feel it has. I feel it's changed a lot because when I first came here, the expats like the Brits and the Americans, and the, uh, they had their own little music scene in Prague. There was like three, four or five uh, expat-y type bars and cafes where they would have uh, their music. And the Czechs had their scene and uh, ne'er the twain should meet, you know, right. something. Or, there was not much contact between those two. There were a couple of people who crossed over, but not many. And then as I see a, a new generation now of 20-somethings, let's say, they move much more freely between those scenes because the, there's a less of a language thing between, I think, for a start. And I think the internet just made everything much smaller now. So uh, I have noticed quite a big difference there. There's, it's less... Uh, stratified than it was uh, 16 years ago and that's nice you know and there's I've seen a lot more places open up that aren't really either expat or Czech places they're just you know just young people and there's quite a nice mixture and of course tourism the whole backpacking thing hostel type tourism just grew exponentially here in the over the last that's grown massively over the last 10 years so there's been a lot of shifts that have made, I feel the scene is better now. There were more, well, there were pre-COVID, there were more yeah. gigs, I think, than ever before in Prague. What kind of venues are you are you more familiar with yourself? You're playing mostly as a solo act these days, or you have been in the last several years? I did it, well, I started as a solo act because when I got here, 
What I wanted to do actually when I got here was I, I'd been uh, I'd been doing a lot of arranging and transcribing when I was working in cabaret, and I got quite good at arranging, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I was thinking about having a nine-piece sort of like R and B blues band, you know. Like, proper, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to arrange horn lines. I didn't even want to sing it. I, I just wanted to. And then as time went on, I think that I found uh, uh, I found it difficult to find musicians who were on board with what I, where I wanted to go. Or they were like they were in camps. I think musicians can be quite conservative people. They, they, you know, the, there's the blues scene and there's a the folk scene and there's a the jazz scene. And especially, uh, you know, when I first got here, I found them all insufferably purist. You know, and uh, I don't really care about authenticity. Do you know what I mean? I'm interested in something that kind of uh, has an idea, and music is the vehicle for the idea. And I found, so I found it difficult to work with other musicians, plus the fact it was difficult to make any money when you work with other musicians. So at a certain point, I think around 2007, after about three or four, three years here, I said, right, sod this, I'll do it all on my own. But that was really, the reason for that was just because I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to do it, do you know what I mean? I, 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 that's the reason I ended up singing a lot of my stuff as well. I think I've got a good voice, but I've never thought I'm like a, an exceptional singer so it was just the fact that i could that i was the only person who wanted to do it in a way and then the technology was kind of making it better as well like uh, you could get stuff more cheaply after you know by 2010 you could get more of the venues had their own pa systems i was using effects which could kind of fill out the sound a little bit like we put bass in there and stuff like that i think that's the the thing is that it's hard for bands nowadays, but I think what's we do have technology on our side at least, you know. Well, that's a nice segue in actually. How would you describe your sound, Justin? It's maybe hard to put it into a kind of sound bite itself, but earlier you were talking about your jazz influences and folk. Yeah, I think it's like a mixture of acoustic and then uh, electric effects. So um, there's definitely an acoustic. It's, I play an acoustic guitar, and you'll always hear that. But I might. I'm using um, in parallel, using effects in parallel on pedals. I can sort of uh, pedal in uh, delays or effects and then sort of pedal them out in real time so that I like quite quite extreme effects in a way. And I'll work with drum machines and uh, I've just put myself one of these little guitar synthesizers. Boss have put it into a little pedal now, which is SY1's a nice piece of kit. So I've, I always like that. Uh, you know, the little gadgets and drum machines and stuff like that. Um, so I mix it up, really. I think that at the core of my sound is like folk guitar, but you'll hear lots of other things getting mixed in with it. And I, I'll often use a bit of distortion with it as well. So I like uh, technology. You know, I'm not a massive, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really on top of it all, but I, I like new things that are coming up. And I think that that's what I like about the blues guys as well is that they were they were developing a sound out of what was available to them and i think that that's what interests me is you know that's what i like about hip-hop as well i think that modern blues now resides in hip-hop more than it resides in the average blues festival if you know what i mean i think it's interesting to see what communities of people are doing to create music to express what they want to say that's what interests me about music you know first got here I thought I knew that people liked fingerstyle guitar and I've always had a I've, I've always been kind of good at that I was my, my dad had a friend when I was a kid who was good at that 
finger style and he taught me a few things so I had that sort of right hand technique and using bottlenecks and stuff I suddenly started realizing hey if I put this at 130 beats per minute and I put that like bang bang it's almost like a techno thing, you know, and uh, there was that point of overlap between those two musics. And I think some people thought I was just an arsehole with that <laughs> when I started messing around with that. And I thought it had a real validity to it. Do you know what I mean? I, thought, I, that, I can totally attest it, man, because the, the, the track that I first saw you do was the Harder and Harder live uh, right. clip, yeah. where you're kind of putting the whole thing together, just as you described there, about the looping and the slide and kind of putting some bass on there and little fills and... And then the vocals on top of it, it's fantastic, man, it's great. What I like to do is, I mean, I, I like writing um, ballads, actually. I enjoy ballads a lot. But the trouble is that that's what singer-songwriters, like, they all, we all love writing ballads. Because they're the sort of things that are nice to write at home in your bedroom, isn't it? We write, we tend to write on our own. We're not in a band, but on your own, you tend to write quite quiet, meditative, you know, things. The trouble is then you've got to go out and you've got to, you've got to gig these things. <laughs> these audiences are talking, they're taking a, they're take, there's a cash register over there, whatever the hell it is, you know, it's no good. So you, actually it's quite hard to write up the in-your-face tunes, you know. And sometimes I think what I'll try and do is uh, put two or three of them together so you're almost shaking your audience and then you give them the ballad. But I think I like that idea of, uh, that's what Cabaret taught me, is like keep your, the, the space between numbers to a minimum. And, uh, and so that you're just, it's like, you're really just like one straight after the other. It's like almost like straight segue, we call it in, uh, you know, in mm. music. So one's coming up hard and fast on the other one. And DJ culture was about that as well. You know, I kind of liked that. I must say, I kind of get frustrated with singing a song like nights where people spend ages telling you what the song's about before they played it. It's like, just play me the thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let, us, let us work it out, you know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's a kind of a mixed bag for me that that very thing because on one hand, maybe it depends what kind of the doing as well. But on one hand, you'll sit and listen to them in the bar, and it's maybe uh, some guy talking about this is about my girlfriend who ran away with right. the, the guy next door or whatever, and you're like, you know, the the kind of synonymous ballad and all that, or it might be a girl singing about a guy, whatever it is, and then you think, okay, great, that's quite nice, and it's kind of. But then the capo comes out, and then I'm like, oh man, here we go, right? It's like, you know, yeah, right. The capo gets further and further up the neck, you know, and that's me. I'm just okay. I'm done. I'm out. You know, <laughs> it's it's too much for me. Well, I, I always loved uh, John Martin, actually, who's a you know a great Scottish uh, folk. Uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love John. His music still is. I, I, I love what he did with folk music because it's all him. Uh, and he was working with drum machines back in the uh, early 70s. And just beautiful, some beautiful things where he's just got that guild guitar and sticking it through a, an early, uh, an early, is it Echoplex? One of the early, maybe it was the tape looper delay, but it just sounds beautiful. So there's nothing original in what I do at all in many ways. John Martin was doing, and that whole, school of British guitarists would be like John Martin, I think Richard Thompson, mm. uh, and, and I kind of like Nick Drake's approach to guitar playing a lot as well. They're all mixing in jazz and blues into folk music, but they are definitely sort of folky performers, I think, in many ways. But I love what, the, I loved what Island Records had a lot of those sort of acts on it. And I thought it'd be great to sort of imagine what they'd be doing now in a way how they would approach things now and uh, so that was kind of I think that was a bit of an inspiration for me as well you know 
Yeah, I love his playing a lot. And I like that, you know, I think there's a nice thing about Britain is that I think we do mix things in quite a lot. You know, we do, we, we make, we're not afraid to mix it up because we're not, you know, we're not Americans. So I think what Britain's often done some quite interesting things with American uh, musical genres because it's not, it hasn't been too worried about being, being uh, true to a particular brand of, of music, you know. Again, there used to be more, but the world just got so sm small now. Like, I don't know if you feel this, but like, uh, for me, young drummers and young singers now, they're, they're just so, young musicians in general, they're so on time because they're working with click tracks all the time, whereas that was a much bigger deal, I think, for my generation. I feel the way that the internet has sort of made things so, everyone knows everyone now. And if they don't know everyone, they, you know, they'll just go away, look at Wikipedia or whatever on their phone, and then they know all about it, don't they? So it's kind of, so I think that's, that's good in a way. I feel less and less, but maybe that's just, you know, my perception, but I feel less and less differences between the scenes here. And that's good, I think. Reactions from the audiences. I mean, the the Czech audiences are very. I'll give you a comparison. So the the German musicians I've spoken to here and done a couple of podcasts with, and a Swedish yeah. musician who's based in Hamburg and did a podcast with her a little while ago, and she was saying they're they're really well treated. The the German bands by their hosts and whatever bar they're playing, and generally speaking, the crowds are quite respectful and they let them do the thing, you know, and then they have a good time. I don't know about your experiences in the Czech Republic, Justin. My experiences here are that they, Czech audiences are quite, quite conservative in a way, but they, they remind me a lot of British audiences, you know, they're not going to give it away. I think there was a time there, I've had people tell me, you know, there was a time there in the 90s when anything that had come from the West was just like, you know, lauded with, you know, completely yeah. and everyone thought it was great. Now, I, th I think when I, when I got here, there was a sort of scepticism about the West, because I think Checks have felt a little bit uh, perhaps like abused slightly and then again like nowadays I think that there was a point at which this country suddenly found itself it's like pretty much like any other Europe there was a bit of an inferiority complex here I think when I first came here that's not the case anymore or it wasn't pre-covid pre anyway because Czechs were, it, it was it was happening I kept thinking to myself like Prague is having a field day you know, last year, uh, I was thinking that it's just crazy now. There's so much going on. Everybody's opening a bar. There's so there's a kind of Berlin vibe about it almost. Mm. I thought that was nice. I liked it in a way, but I was wondering when the bubble was going to burst and then COVID, <laughs> COVID sort of did that. <laughs> you didn't have to wait too long. It was, no. Uh, the, oh. no. The, the actual venues themselves, I mean, they're... you've seen some changes over the years that you've been there. They're not just in a technological sense, but, you know, they're quite well organized they have different yeah there's, different well, there's the whole i mean i think uh germans do this as well they have like culture houses is that the case still in places like uh yeah. they still have culture houses there where yeah. i mean that's so that's something that we don't really have in britain uh, so much but the but the czechs still have their culture houses and that's great if you can get into some of those places and i've been lucky enough over the last sort of five or six years especially to do a lot of uh, tours and stuff around the little culture houses in Moravia and uh, some of them are really uh, out in the sticks and it's great actually it's because it's uh, it's it, it, you're really playing you know it's really it's really what music should do and I have uh, at first I made the mistake of thinking well I'll tone it down a bit for these sort of places because they don't I don't want to go too nuts here and that was a big mistake actually well they want I've noticed that the small places they want to see you go more nuts <laughs> <laughs> then they're probably doing like the, the bigger places 
it's almost like you're vicariously, you know, they're yeah. looking at you going, yeah, go on, <laughs> do it, smash it up. It's the definition of keeping it real, though, Justin. It's, uh... I kind of like doing harder and harder because I like, for instance, that track you mentioned, because I, what I liked about it was that I don't think it's the best lyrics I've ever written, but I like the space that it was in. And that space is one of a man who looks like he might be about to go over the edge. And I always like, I don't know about you, but I always like watching things like that. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, oh, God, he's, he looks like he's just about to go completely nuts. <laughs> I was like that watching, like watching Townsend even or Hendrix. It's like, yeah. when this, when's this? Is he gonna? Is he gonna go completely nuts? And of course, you know, they they, they didn't go completely nuts. But um, there's that sort of. It's got an edge of unpredictability, and I like that. Or I try and get it. I don't know how successful I have been doing that, but I think that, you know, music should surprise you, everybody to a certain extent. You know, the new stuff that you're working on at the moment. The one track that I. I had to listen to was Lock Me Down, or the video that you made, uh, actually. Uh, well, yeah, that was uh, that was a DJ I know from a, a great club here called Cross Club. And he said to me, uh, he sent me like eight bars of this drum track. He said, uh, hey, I can hear some blues guitar and, and some sort of like bluesy stuff over the top of this. You fancy doing something? So I said, well, yeah, because I've got this studio now. So I started messing around with it. And then, the, the, you know, words about uh, lockdown were kind of coming into my head. And I thought oh, this could be kind of cool, you know. My original idea was that I was going to do it, then ask some quite well-known Czech formers that I know to do, uh, uh, to put a bit on, you know, like to add to the recording, and then to try and sell it as a charity single to raise some money for musicians, because there's one organisation here that's been trying to get some cash together for musicians. But really, that didn't work out. I couldn't get much backing. I wanted a little bit more backing from um, a couple of organisations, and they weren't really biting that hard on it. And I thought, oh, sorry, I'll just do it on my own. So that was that was where all that came from. And it was just fun, you know. And, I mean, it was kind of like a, it's not a protest about lockdown as much as a sort of just like an attempt to try and make things less painful by bitching, by bitching about it. <laughs> General observations from afar. You know? Exactly, yeah. So that was the, that's about, um, and it was kind of fun to do, you know, it was kind of fun. Yeah, so like fun things that I've been working on just for, for years and years because I was ill. I was horribly ill last year. I almost died in April last year. And uh, then again, I had a, I got cancer and oh, I was just a real mess. So things that I'd, songs that I'd had from like pretty much 2018 didn't really get any further because I was just so ill. So this year, now I've got the studio, slowly I'm starting to work on those. But of course, they're bigger things. They're, one of them was called the guitar. I, th- I, just re- I just did a video for that. And they take a long time to put together. They're kind of like almost chansonny things and... I took a long time over the words and the arrangements. So, so that's what I've been doing slowly. Uh, but uh, Lock Me Down was a kind of a bit of an aside to it. But it was nice and it, it kind of got a fair amount of traction. It was a shame I couldn't make it work as a charity uh, thing. I think that would have been a nice idea. But the trouble was, the other problem was that just about the time I was going to try and get some people to participate in it, the government theoretically offered musicians, performers, kind of about two and a half thousand euros compensation. Actually, it's not that simple, but I could feel at that point that public uh, feeling might not be so sympathetic towards performers because 
a lot of other uh, workers have lost their jobs and sure. haven't got any money. So, uh, you know, I think the musicians got it tough, but, you know, I'm a little bit more concerned about the plight of uh, teachers and nurses and people like that at the moment, really. Than, yeah, man. Yeah. Everyone's in the same kind of, the same shitty boat with one paddle, eh? Exactly, yeah. It's tricky, you know. Where can we find your work online, Justin? I have stuff on Bandcamp. And I have some, it's some of it, most of it's on Spotify now too, I think one way or another, although those recent things haven't been uploaded onto Spotify yet, but I think now it's pretty well covered on Spotify. There's some, it's on YouTube as well, and there aren't many Lavashes, so I'm the only Justin Lavash. So that's kind of, it's quite easy to find me. I mean, it's sort of weird, isn't it? Because, because... Uh, Actually, I think that Spotify, there's a lot of things wrong with it. What bothers me is actually the quality of the sound of it. I wasn't, I'm not that impressed with the quality of the, the actual, you know, the recording quality of the whatever format is they use. I think MP3s, I'm guessing it sounds pretty mushy. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't really know where things are going. I'm trying to predict like everybody else is, but I'm not. It's difficult to say, isn't it? One thing I do know is I think whatever we do now musically has to have some sort of visual accompaniment because otherwise it would just get buried on uh, social media or whatever because it needs to be, people need to still be seeing it on some level. Well, the, the, quality of, the quality of videos that I've seen from yourself and from Jeff and the Jeff Tyson band and so on, there, the, the, the video work in the camera works really good, you know, whether it's a live performance or whether it's been a... Nice. Uh, a normal video kind of yeah, thing. There's yeah, there's a lot it's, it's the really technology good. there's great, you know, there's a lot more, that's nice that, uh, you know, it, I'm, I think there's a lot more technology out there to help us with that. I, I get the feeling that more and more of what we do is going to be done from home, things like what you're, what you're doing now, you know, I think that's probably where it's going to be going in many ways, so we'll see. You know, wouldn't it be great if there was a protocol, however, that would work in real time that we could jam together now? You could have your drum set up and I could play with you and we that latency wouldn't be a problem. It would be so great, but I just don't think that it can be done on the present infrastructure, but I don't know. Well, there's one, there's one for the buffins to work out, Justin, right? Yeah, so that's what they should yeah. be doing. World Peace and then Justin's ideas number two. Exactly. You know? yeah. Or it's maybe, it's maybe joint with number one, I think, actually. Justin, you get time for a top five. We can try, yeah. Let's, let's go for it. A guilty pleasure. Someone you shouldn't like, but you do. That's the way I brand this question. Right, and someone I shouldn't like, that. you know, there's one song I like by, do you know, Andrew, you're younger than me. Do you know Andrew Gold? It was, it's, it's a really cheesy song. Yeah, called, yeah. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say, actually. Yeah, yeah. But I love her. Never going to let her go or something? Let, like never let her know? slip away. Never let her slip away. Okay, yes, I do know it. And I think it's a great song, you know, and I think when I was working in cabaret, we were working with these really loud, but horrible, shitty, boisterous gigs, uh, you know, and then that song was on the playlist of the, the venue I worked in. <laughs> and there was something very refreshing about it, even though it is so cheesy. And then I was, when you asked me, uh, you mentioned that that might be one of the questions. I, I looked it up uh, out of interest just to see what Andrew Gold is doing nowadays. And I noticed that Dave Grohl had actually listed that song as a, song that he would like to cover oh, on a, you're a pioneer in many ways there, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, me and Dave Grohl that's what we should do together and then what he would do with that song I do not know because I think uh, that would be that would be a surprising mix wouldn't it Dave Grohl covering that song yeah I, 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 for me personally I'd like to see Dave Grohl do Christopher Cross 
You know the song Sailing? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be fun. Ride like the wind or something like that, you know, or yeah, sailing or something. Like that, you know? <laughs> Who should we be listening to and why, Justin? Who should we be listening to and why? Uh, I think, um, oh God, that's a, a girl called Eddie, if you know uh, that band. They're a good, uh, they're a good band. I, somebody recommended to me, to them, a friend of mine uh, is a drummer. He was the drummer for Bowie, David Bowie, actually, but he was also a drummer for... Is uh, also the drummer in Prefab Sprout, if you know that band. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, he put a thing on Facebook the other day with a girl called Eddie, because I think they have referenced Prefab Sprout somewhere along the line, but they're great. She's great. And it, it sounds like something between, it's kind of modern, but it also there's a lot of um, Stevie Dan and Prefab Sprout in there. So I was pretty impressed with them, I have to say. But I hear lots of good stuff. That was just kind of like something fairly recently I thought was pretty good. Is there a collaboration that you've been longing for? Oh, yeah, there's lots of people I think are great. Um, and there are some interesting, I think there are some interesting things on the Czech scene now. And there are some interesting young uh, players and some interesting women actually coming up. That's kind of interesting. I, I know a, a, a few a few writers, it would be fun to work with them. Uh, like Marketa Zdenkova, is, uh, she works here. Or as a singer called Oxy, I mentioned doing some stuff with her. She works here. They're, they're, you know, they're sort of young female songwriters, and and I wouldn't um, not. I mean, they have their own bands and stuff, but it'd be kind of interesting to collaborate with them on one song. Do you know what I mean? I think that that. And see how uh, it turns out. Yeah, and I th- I've been, I've had some good collaborations with the women here uh, in the past. I worked with uh, some quite famous Czech uh, songwriters. And one of them was uh, Lenka de Solova. She's great. And she's just released a new album. And so uh, Monica Natural was another. She's also great. And so there's, uh, yeah, that would that'd be interesting. And I think what's nice nowadays is that these aren't times for albums, really. So you could do just one track with somebody and you don't have to kind of commit to, you know, 40 minutes. And you just... Sell as a whole thing, you know, the whole package. Yeah, exactly. That excites me, you know. There are many people I wish I'd worked with, you know, but they're all getting old now, so am I. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Who, who was the singer who did the Once film and soundtrack? Uh, her name Czech. is... Yeah, she is Czech, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I shouldn't remember. Know. She's an Oscar winner. <laughs> Sorry, put you on the spot, mate. No, it's not, I don't know. I don't know. I met her once, though, because she was recording in the studio. I was just going to take a look. Her name's Margaret or something. Or other, but I forget her surname now. Yeah, I right. Remember her that, that rings a bell. Because that's really... She didn't She didn't do... Uh, she still produce music, but she not. she's quite She's quite timid, really. She's quite quiet and... Uh, so uh, not on that, uh, not to that sort of fanfare, if you know what I mean. She's yeah. a folk, she's a folk singer, and but I've never seen one. Oh, it's great! It's a great it film. Is. The other films the guy did have not been so good, or I didn't enjoy them anyway. The the Maroon Five guys in one of them, and I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't need to see this. But once has a certain kind of charm about it. I don't know whether it's just because of the where it's set in in Dublin. But it, you know, it has a kind of honesty and charm to it, and really good tunes oh, as well. Okay, yeah, it was interesting their relation. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll tell you something about the Czechs is they see themselves as very apart. So she won an Oscar, but a lot of Czechs don't really seem to register that as a big deal. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, yeah, well, must try harder, you know. Yeah, it's like, it's about what matters is what's over here, you know. That's quite interesting, you know. That maybe says a lot about them as 
as people or individuals, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I it's think so. I think there's also, when you're, I work with, uh, when I was working with Monica Natchava, she was, uh, she's an actress, so she knew, she'd been working with a lot of the actors here when the Velvet Revolution happened. And I worked with a couple of uh, musicians from that time and the underground, the old underground guys, and they were really interested because they had a very pure attitude to what they did. They wouldn't take money, for example. They weren't interested in making money out of their music, but your attitude had to be right. There's no bullshit on that level. They expected you to play from your heart and with your soul. They weren't interested in fame or money. None of these things mattered at all to them. And I think that, I, and, and genuinely, they really meant it as well. I was quite, quite impressed with that, actually. They were sort of like, we didn't do it for money in the, you know, in the 80s or the 70s, and we're not going to do it for money now, but we've got to, but the people have got to be right. And the, Musicians and actors were kind of at the at the sort of uh, publicity front end of the Velvet Revolution in a way. If you look at what Harold was doing, he's a playwright, obviously. Yeah. The the band Fasten People of the Universe were it was them being locked up that in a sense pushed Harold to get Charter seventy seven together. So it was really in a way I don't think it was about music, but there was music around it all, you know, it's, it's interesting. It makes of the, the British or the Western scene seem very spoilt and decadent and, and, and childish, really. When you, when you see what musicians went through over here during communism, they would have been locked up and tortured and bullied and, you know, deprived of a lot of their living. Spied upon. Yeah. The whole, the whole so, I mean, you know, I, mean, I think that there's a, the Rolling Stones quite rightly felt sort of hounded in a way, to a certain extent. I suppose the Beatles did too, but it wasn't quite like over here. They were they were really taking risks over here for playing. It wasn't even political music. It was just it, non, it was just nonconformist. Right? So and maybe not on the list of so, no, not on the list of approved composers or whoever it was. Yeah, exactly. So it was. I think that's really where music sort of belongs in those cracks. When it becomes too formalised, it can become quite spoiled, really. There's, you know, there's a, there's a, it's a fine line, you know, it's an interesting point of discussion, I think, at what music, at what point music stops being rebellious and is just really actually posing as being rebellious. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, my, I thought about this and then I thought, well, I don't know, you mean for me to sing? Yeah. Uh, fuck, what is my go-to karaoke song? <laughs> he died recently, didn't he? Bill Withers. But I like, I used to, I mean, I've always done just the two of us or Lovely Day. I mean, they're just great songs and uh, yeah. they're not they're not so complicated, but they're kind of funky and soulful. The lyrics aren't stupid. Um, so I probably do those, but I don't know how karaoke those are now. You know what I mean? I, I remember playing when I did, when I was working in the uh, cabaret, we used to play I Will Survive literally every night. <laughs> and I've also done it in cabaret. I remember doing, on cruise ships doing uh, like karaoke or uh, you know the for the, the passengers would come in the first day and they'd sort of they would they could choose songs that they would want to sing on the first day and we would back them we, so we'd have a rehearsal in the afternoon choose keys and just get the arrangements of that and there was always somebody who wanted to do danny boy and it's always <laughs> such a and i tell you man now this is a warning anybody wants to do danny boy 
you've got to choose your key right because there's that <laughs> bit in the middle where it does an octave and I can do <laughs> that thing, that big octave jump and people always fuck that up because they'll always start in the key that's too high but they don't know it until they got to that bit and then they hit that bit and so I've seen so many people fuck that up. Just crumble and wither away. Just right? crumble because they can't <laughs> hit that octave and I go... It's like Florence Foster Jenkins, if you've seen that film on Netflix. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, karaoke is a funny thing, actually. Yeah, Bill Withers um, is not a yeah, bad choice, though. I, I remember seeing one day on a cruise ship, uh, seeing a woman who was so drunk for the performance that she actually fell off the stage. And because it was on a cruise ship, they had it on the, like, uh, the cruise ship TV on, on a... <laughs> on a <laughs> On a loop, you know, so you'd be watching this woman fall off the stage like once an hour for the next seven days. It's great. Oh, that's priceless. Right? <laughs> There's a holiday she wouldn't forget. You know? exactly, maybe, she, yeah, maybe yeah. she doesn't remember, you know. Ritually humiliated once an hour for seven days. You know? Fantastic. Last question. Favourite venue that you've either played at or you've seen someone performing? I think I loved uh, and still love, hopefully it will be okay after all this, is Acropolis in Prague. It's a great venue. I've always loved it. It's got, it's about, holds about 400 people and big bands have come and played through there and smaller bands as well. It's got a nice cafe. The beer was never too expensive and they, it was just a nice club because you could go there, uh, see a band or whatever, or go after the bands. They finished at 10, bands finished quite early here but it was never uh, an exploitative sort of race. Uh, I hate that British club experience of uh, you get through the you know, heavily guarded gateway into the expensive uh, shit you get, hole. You get royally fleeced, eh? Then you get royally fleeced and probably beaten up on your way in or out or both. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I thought that Acropolis was a nice place. I hope it manages to uh, continue. Yeah, long may it run. Exactly. Justin, it's been a blast. Thank thanks, you very much. Thanks for uh, taking the time out your evening to share it with me. And uh, I wish you all the best with future ventures. And uh, let's do it again sometime. All right. Great. Listen, man, thanks very much for the nice experience. Take it easy. And I hope look after yourself out there and uh, stay safe and healthy. And I hope it goes well with your mum. Cheers, uh, man. Thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure to be able to speak to you. Likewise. All the best, Justin. Take it easy, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. On Facebook at Expat Music Pod. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And wherever you get your podcast from, I'm pretty sure you'll find us there too. Until the next one, this is Craig saying cheers. <laughs>